what power, what majesty, what holiness, what righteousness in that beautiful name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. It is in that name that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Father, I thank you for that promise. I thank you that there is none like you. There is none even beside you. No other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I pray right now we would eagerly, willingly, humbly, present ourselves under the authority of your word. We wouldn't be just hearers of the word, we would be doers of the word to say, Lord, speak to me. God, whatever has happened this past week, whatever circumstances, situations, anxieties, worries, doubts, or fears, God, victories, God, we lay those all at the cross right now. I pray freely, eagerly, casting our anxieties on you because you care. The one who knows the end from the beginning, the one who was there before the earth and the heavens were created, cares for us and says, come. My yoke is easy and burden is light. Cast your cares upon me. May it be so today. Lord, guard my mouth from error right now. Say what you want to say to your church. And may you find a church that is ready to respond in faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. 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 Church, you may be seated. Well, today, church, we are continuing in our series through the book of Acts called The Foundations of the Church, a study through Acts. And this series will be going for a few more weeks and taking us through to Acts chapter 6, at which point we're going to take a break for the summer and launch into a new series, our summer series, which we will unveil in the coming weeks. All I'm going to say is buckle up for that one because we don't ease off in the summer. The Lord has a great series coming up. For us, And this series here through the book of Acts has been a terrific series for our church and it's a blessing, personal blessing, just to see so many of you, so many of us starting to say, okay, so what does this look like in my life and seeing God use that for his glory in it. And I am just so expectant and I pray you are as well for how God will continue to use this series in the weeks ahead as we are expectant to meet with him when we come together. We are now in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, our ushers are coming forward right now and they want to put one in front of you. So just put up your hand and they will put a copy of God's word in front of you to follow along. This is an amazing text. Make sure that you are following with us. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. The foundations of the church. Now, throughout this series, we've been getting this definition from God's word of what the church is to be. And I hope that you have this memorized right now. We're trying to scaled it down to the bare basics and it is this church the greek word ecclesia means the people of god living on mission for god in the power of god someone says you're going to church on sunday what's the church i hope no one here says it's a building please don't do that 
Don't do that, all right? If you have to go online to our website, by the way, all our sermon slides are posted with the audio messages now. So you can just take these and walk through them throughout the week. The people of God living on mission for God in the power of God. And so now the rest of Acts, where we were last week, and now the rest of the entire book is focused on the practical outflow of one's salvation in Christ. What we are called to as believers, and what does that practically look like? like as we seek to live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives each day, in your families, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in the coffee shop, in the grocery store. What does that look like? Last week in Acts 3, we looked at how the mindset of the church is to be one of expectancy, expectancy for Christ to work as we live on mission for God in the power of God. And then today, just this is like a little mini-series within this series, these two messages. Today in Acts 4, we see what the mindset of expectancy leads to. The mindset of expectancy leads to boldness in our witness for Christ. And we'll see that so clearly, that connection. But before we go there, let's get some clarity. What comes to mind Church family, what comes to mind when you hear the word boldness? What pictures start to come to mind when you hear the word boldness? I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, immediately I see this red-faced guy. He's got his Bible and he's pounding it and he's spitting on people and firing out God's truth and just loud and chest puffed up and no I'm not talking about myself and so here we are right right and so this is the the things that I picture when I see boldness all right but we got to debunk this and get clarity on what boldness actually is biblically we got to get a biblical theology of boldness today what it actually is and what it looks like so so let's start out with a typical definition before we get God's definition. Boldness is defined as this, willingness to take risks and act with confidence or courage. Willingness to take risks and act with confidence or courage. Now let's simplify that even more. When it comes to sharing the gospel, You could sum boldness up in two words. And it is this. Ready? Courageous clarity. There's boldness. Courageous clarity. And this is what we will unpack today when we will see from Acts 4 what this means. And you say, why does this even matter, this whole idea, the witness of the church? Why is the witness of the church to be bold? Why does it even matter? Because, loved ones, there's a problem today. Opposition against the message of the gospel is increasing, and boldness in the life of most Christians and churches is decreasing. That's a problem. The the church witness is called to be bold. And what happens is the result of this increasing opposition, decreasing boldness, increasing fear of man, it leads to living in that fear of man or living in fear of that opposition. And if you live in the fear of opposition, if you live in the fear of man, you start being intimidated by man and you silence your witness. And then if you're intimidated by man, it leads to wavering conviction of the faith that is in us. And that God has said is true. Fear of man leads to intimidation of man, which leads to 
wavering conviction of faith, and ultimately, wavering conviction leads to compromise in faith. The compromise of our faith. And and here's the reality. We have to see the end game here. Lives are literally hanging in the balance. Here in Acts 4, we see the very first opposition that comes against the early church. Here it is. Opposition's coming. And the disciples are faced with the choice of choosing to, to shrink back and ultimately deny their Savior, Jesus Christ, or boldly proclaim the gospel in the power of Christ. And loved ones, hey, nothing new under the sun. These are the same two choices we're faced with every single day. In the lives of people around us, in your, with your family members, with your neighbors, with your classmates, with people even in this church, we're faced with these same two options. Shrink back and deny Christ or boldly witness in the power of Christ. And from this, we see three crucial truths we must believe. We must believe these loved ones if we are to boldly and without fear live out our mandate to be Christ's witnesses to those around us. Three crucial truths we must believe. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read verses one to four together. Acts chapter four, verses one to four to start. Peter and John before the council. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about five Thousand. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, to live as a bold witness for Christ, loved ones, the first thing we see in these first four verses is this you must expect that you will be opposed because of Christ. It shouldn't be a surprise. If you're living as a bold witness for Christ, you must expect that you will be opposed because of Christ. Look at verses. One, and as they were speaking to the people. Okay, so let's get some context for us of where they're speaking. You'll see here, remember from last week, here's the setting. This is the beautiful gate of the temple in Jerusalem. And you see a picture of it here, and you'll probably see another picture of it again, right? So there it is, the close-up view. They're at the beautiful gate, the bronze gate, right? They've just seen this lame beggar who's sitting outside those doors, raised up, and now walking and leaping and praising God. Awesome. Right? So all the thousands of people gathering around, seeing them here. And remember, this lame beggar was over 40 years old. He's never walked a day in his life. And that's going to be very important later on in this text this morning. And so the result of this, as people see this miracle happening, they come around Peter and John... The result of this, Peter gets up in verses 11, 20, 11 to 26 of chapter 3. He gets up in front of the crowd of thousands that had gathered around and preaches the gospel to them. Saying that it was by faith in the name of Jesus Christ that this man was healed. But here's, here's what happens. As you see that deed and the word that is preached in response to that deed, uh, trouble's brewing. Trouble's brewing. And there's a showdown that's about to happen. This, most of this text is a courtroom scene. There's a showdown that's coming against these two apostles, Peter and John. Now, verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests. Okay, so who are 
these guys coming at Peter and John, the priests, these were the spiritual leaders of the people, of the Jewish people, offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, taught the Old Testament to the people, and acted as mediators between God and man, which now, if we're saved in Jesus Christ, he is our mediator. We no longer need to go to a priest. He is our high priest. But here they are, mediators between God and man. And the most powerful priest was the chief priest. He wielded so much authority and power. But then look who's next, people. The priest and the captain of the temple. Who's that? This is the captain of the temple guard or the police force. The temple police force. And this guy was so powerful, he was actually second in command behind the chief priest. All right, nobody wanted to mess with that guy. Nobody wants to have the temple police knocking on your door. It's not a good thing. And then that goes on, the captain of the temple, and then the Sadducees came upon them. Now, this is the group that worked with the Pharisees to put Christ to death at his crucifixion just weeks earlier. They usually didn't get along with the Pharisees, but they did. They came together to crucify Jesus Christ. Who were the Sadducees? This powerful and wealthy political group that worked with the ruling power of the Romans over Jerusalem. And these guys controlled the temple. Here's the thing. Here's why they were so annoyed. Because they thought only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they thought that was the only authority. Only the first five books, they denied Christ's resurrection along with most miracles. They didn't really believe in the supernatural. Which begs the question, how can you think Pentateuch's authoritative and not believe in the supernatural? Whole burning bush, plagues, I don't know. But here's the reality. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Christ. And notice verse 2. Greatly, they became greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That word annoyed there means this, worn out, worn out, piercing fatigue, piercing fatigue, greatly troubled because here Peter and John are preaching Christ is no longer dead. What do you think that's doing for their authority and power in the eyes of the people? They're like, you say he's dead, uh-uh, we're going to start preaching him. He's alive, he's resurrected, and if that's not enough, he's not just alive and resurrected, he's now still at work, and this guy's healed because of his name. So you can imagine this annoyance the Sadducees have with this. We're like, we just told everyone he's dead. How's this going to look on us? No wonder they're ticked. Then you get to verse 3. Here's their response, our opposition, and they arrested them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. They arrest Peter and John, put them in jail overnight. You say, wait a sec, why to the next day? Why didn't they just try the guys right there? Because according to Jewish law, you can't have trials in the evening. It has to be in the morning. So they put them in overnight. Okay, stop. Stop for a moment. Live in this text. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Peter and John, here you are, here you are in this courtyard right here up until this point right here you're seeing the church explode explode and you have so much favor with the people you're preaching the gospel to think about this you've had no opposition up to this point in fact God has given you two sermons to preach and out of two sermons literally thousands of people have come to Christ You're thinking things are sweet right now. Two 
two sermons. And now before you know it, just like that, you're sitting in a jail cell. Question. Do you think for a moment that the disciples never anticipated that this was going to happen? To put yourself in shoes. That every sermon you preach is going to have lots of favor with the people. Great, we're going to believe. Thousands to be an attitude. But did you honestly think the disciples wouldn't think this was coming? They wouldn't anticipate it? That as they continued to share the gospel, that people, boldly by the way, as they continued to share the gospel boldly, people would never be opposed to it? Of course not. They didn't think that. Jesus prepared them for this. He told them this would happen. Look at John 15, 20. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus says, remember, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, there's a promise right here, they will also. We don't like to claim that one. Why not? They will also persecute you. If you're boldly living out as a witness for Jesus Christ, expect persecution if you're hiding your faith to yourself you got to ask am i getting persecuted for my faith and there's different levels of persecution but am i getting persecuted for it if not ask myself am i living boldly as a witness see this is the promise if you're going to truly live out your faith in christ you're going to be persecuted And for us as Christians, the question isn't, will I be opposed when I live as a bold witness for Christ? The question is, when I'm opposed, will I stand, will I still be faithful to share the gospel that God has entrusted to me, or will I deny him? Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you before the Father. If you deny me before man, I will deny you before the Father. Those are cutting words, eh? Those are just cutting words. Will I still be faithful to share? I get, it, it really comes down to this, loved ones. Do I truly expect God to work supernaturally through my declaration of the gospel in the midst of opposition? That's essentially what it comes down to, being a bold witness for Christ. Do I truly expect God to work through my declaration of the gospel in the midst of oppositions? And here is what is essential to realize and what the disciples knew right here that gave them the courage and the boldness by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God was asking them to. Loved ones, comes like this. You see it on the screen. Expect the opposition, but expect that Christ is over it and will work through it. Expect the opposition to come. Don't be surprised. It's gonna come. But also expect that Christ is over it. He has authority over it, and he will work through it for his glory. He will. He promises to. And this is why, loved ones, going back, harken back to last week. This is why expectancy, a mindset of expectancy for God to work is so crucial. Here's why. You'll see it on the screen. Our expectancy of Christ to work fuels our boldness for Christ in the work. Our expectancy for Christ to work fuels our boldness for Christ in the work. If I'm not expecting for God to work, think about this. If I'm not expecting for God to work, if I step out and share my faith, 
when that opposition comes, I'm not going to stand up boldly for him to engage it. Why would I? If I'm not expecting him to work, why would I stand up for him? If I'm not expecting to get a good meal at a restaurant, do I go? No. If I'm not expecting God to work in that situation with my neighbor, with my family, with my coworker, why would I be a bold witness? You see, loved ones, this is why the devil, I'm getting pretty fired up about this right now, you tell? This is why the devil works so hard to strip you and I of our expectancy for God to work. Because if he takes the expectancy out of you and I, he takes the fight out of you and I. Oh, it's just another Sunday. I'm going to come to church. Red light, red light. He takes the expectancy out. He takes the fight out. He takes the boldness out. This is why. You really think you're going to make a difference with your neighbor? You really think you're going to get the words to say? You really think God's going to use you in that moment? You really think, you really think, you really? Yes. Zip it. Because he says he will. And he has authority over whatever comes. Expectancy of Christ's work overcomes the fear of opposition in the work. Expectancy fuels our boldness. Do I truly believe, do you truly believe, loved ones, that it's never just another moment, that every moment we have is another opportunity that God has presented? Do you and I truly believe that it is not just another name we represent, but that there is power in the name of Jesus? Do you and I truly believe that it is not just an isolated act, but that Jesus Christ, in the authority that he has been given, will see to it that faithfulness is always multiplied? Do you and I believe that? Because that's crucial in that moment when someone comes up to you and says, what do you believe? That's crucial in that moment. Do I truly believe right there that God's going to equip me for this? See, because here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. You can arrest the messenger, but you cannot arrest the message. (laughs) You can arrest the messenger, loved ones. Yeah, sure. You and I can get taken out physically, but you can't arrest the message because it's living and active. It's not your message, it's not mine. And you and I are not responsible for transforming the life. We are called to engage the life in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can arrest the messenger, but you can never arrest the message. And you say, well, how can I be sure of that? Let's look at verse four. Let's let the text speak for itself. But many of those who'd heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, the word believe there in the Greek means this. It's not just head knowledge. Okay, I agree with you. No, no, no. Not just head knowledge, but belief in Christ as their Savior, putting, putting their faith in Jesus Christ in a saving relationship with him. And look at what happened. Look at what happened. The church grew to 5,000 thousand men now notice it says men there that doesn't even include women and kids that's just men so realistically the church at this point after this sermon is about 10,000 plus people even though the messenger was arrested the church is still growing God's still faithful to his promise that his word will go forth and will not come back void but it will achieve the purpose for which it is sent amen 
Take that, Satan. So question or truth before this question. We must be convicted of this or we will not live boldly for Christ. God's power is not restricted in our opposition. You understand this? We have to understand this, loved ones. Right here, eyes up. God's power is not restricted in our opposition. Man can do whatever they want to try to do. Nah, God's like, nah, I got that. I'm over that too. I'll take care of that. My word's not going to come back void. God's power is not restricted in our opposition. How freeing is that? How emboldening is that? That even if we get rejected on this side, God's still going to accomplish his purpose in that person's life through the boldness that he has given us to speak the truth in his name. And it's not our job to try to understand how or when or what it's going to look like. It's just our job to have faith that he will because he's promised to. Awesome. Question, are you expecting opposition and at the same time expecting Christ is over it and will work through it? Who is that person that God is calling you right now, that person you're thinking of, calling you to share your faith with in love and grace and truth? You're not smacking them overhead with a Bible. You're just courageously and clearly declaring the faith, the reason for your hope and joy. Who is it? Your friends? What friend is it? What family member is just waiting? What neighbor? What coworker? What spouse? What classmate? You know, true story. Hey, loved ones, there's longing for eternity placed in every single person's heart. Do you believe that? Ecclesiastes 3.11? Yeah, absolutely. So here's the reality with that. When they see a glimpse of eternity, they're drawn to that because the heart is hungering for that. I was out there the other uh, little while ago and uh, it was a dark morning. I was putting my garbage out. My neighbor's putting his garbage out and and uh, he goes, hi, Ray. I said, hey, how are you? And he goes, he goes, I'm getting old. I said, why? He goes, I don't like waking up when it's dark outside. I'm just grumpy and whatever. And I said, doesn't it just make you appreciate the sun more? And he stands there. He's like, he goes, can I ask you a question? It's never just another time taking the garbage out, loved ones. That's what the devil would have you believe. Watch. He says, oh, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, how come you're so full of joy all the time, Ray? Like, every time I'm around you, I just feel uplifted. Why is that? I said, do you really want to know? He says, yes. I said, okay. (laughs) You asked for it, man. So here's the thing. That's the reality. There's the gospel taking out garbage. And our relationship has never been the same. And, and, and there was no rejection. It was a little bit kind of awkwardness, you know, at the start. But I said, love you, man. Love you, man. I just pray that this doesn't create any tension in our relationship. I just love you. I'm still going to blow your driveway. I'm still going to cut your grass. Hey, bring it on, man. He goes, man, thank you. Like, you just, you don't have to recite Romans. of being faithful show up. Who is that person for you? 
Remember, God's power is not restricted by opposition. To live as a bold witness for Christ, you must expect you will be opposed because of Christ. And when that opposition hits, you must have faith that you will be equipped by Christ. In that moment, when the opposition hits, when it, whether, it's, whether it's coming from the devil himself or a human uh, instrument from his hand, when that hits, we must have faith we'll be equipped by Christ. Look at verses five to seven. On the next day, They've been in jail for the night. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? You see, the next scene, the scene now switches from the courtyard to the courtroom. They're in the courtroom now, in front of the council of the Sanhedrin. As the Jewish leaders gather together in their council chambers, along with the high priest and members of the high priestly family, to question Peter and John. They're literally putting them on trial right here. So you've got 70 rulers versus two guys. And they asked them by what power they did it. So let's get a picture of what exactly the scene is like here. Here you go. Here it is. Here's the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council quarters, right? So you see, they sit in a circle. Kind of intimidating, eh? You've got 70 people sitting in a semicircle around you, and they put anyone who they're interrogating in the middle. And it, it, <laughs> here's the thing. How would you feel in this moment? If you're standing in the middle right there, I love that one on, the, on the, your left, right here. You're standing in the middle and there's 70 Sanhedrin coming around you. Would you feel intimidated, loved ones? Now, be honest, we're in church. Would you feel anxious? Would you feel a little bit worried at this moment? Yeah, good word. So here's the reality. Knowing, would you feel anxious knowing you are standing? Get this, get this, this wasn't just a random, hey, let's pick a judge off the street. You gotta understand who these guys are and why the Holy Spirit went to lengths to identify them by name. There's a reason for that. You are standing in front of an assembly of the most powerful and influential and well-educated men in the entire country. I mean, the Jewish council has brought all firepower out to take you out. Every single person they could get, most educated, most powerful, most influential, is coming at you. And there's 70 of them. They're bringing out all the firepower. Oh, and here's the thing. Uh, you're a fisherman. Uh, you're a fisherman. And they're bringing everybody out to get you. And by the way, here, let's stack the odds a little bit more. You're a fisherman who, if you're Peter, you're that fisherman that was running away from a servant girl just a few weeks ago when she asked if you knew Christ. You're that guy. Remember the whole servant girl at the fire? You know Jesus? You've been with him. Oh, he's talking about, I'm out of here. And now he's in front of the most powerful council in the land. This is the same court, the same men who just weeks earlier had crucified Jesus Christ, whom you are now proclaiming is alive, and whom you are now about to hold them responsible for, his death. 
How would you be responding right now? Just think, if you're standing in the middle of these Sanhedrin, there's the high priest right in the middle doing his thing. Listen, would you be thinking stuff like, well, I know what to say? Well, I know what to, what, uh, how am I going to know what to say? How am I going to answer their questions? What will happen to my family? Peter had a wife. What's going to happen to my wife? Will, will, Christ, will Christ help me, or am I going to look foolish if, I, if they start asking questions and I, I don't know what to say and I'm getting fear? Will I end up, well, here's a big one, will I end up like Christ by the hands of the same men that killed him? Are they going to kill me? What sort of questions are running through your mind right now as you're standing there? Put yourself there. Live in the text. I mean, would you hope that what Jesus told you was true when he said in Luke 12, 11 to 12, he said, and when, look at this promise, loved ones, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit, here's the promise, will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He's like, don't go preparing some defense for yourself. Don't, that just makes you more anxious. I mean, how many of us, let's be legitimate here, loved ones, let's be authentic. How many of us, when we're, when we're offered the opportunity to share our faith, we're like, well, I won't know what to say, and I won't know the words, and I won't, the, the disciples were going through the same thing, loved ones. In that hour, the Holy Spirit will give you, but do we have the faith to believe that Christ will equip us for that moment? Or will we shrink back from it? It's a beautiful picture. Let's bring this home. Take this truth and put yourself in front of your neighbor right now. Put yourself in front of your classmates. Put yourself in front of your unbelieving family, your coworkers, your kids, a stranger in the store who asks you, or even someone in the church that you see, brothers and sisters walking in sin, ask yourself this question, do I truly believe, do I truly have faith that God will equip me to be his witness with his words and in his power in that situation? Do I truly believe that? He's promised it. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? And you may say, well, how do I know if I have faith? Like, like, how do I know? Okay, you want to know a good litmus test for faith? If I ask the question, how's your faith? Ask the question, how's my boldness? That's a great indicator of how your faith is. How's your faith? Well, first look at, how's your boldness? And you say, what do you mean by that? Because here's the reality. Faith, you'll see it on the screen. An internal conviction that leads to an external action. Faith is an internal conviction that leads to an external action. You say, I don't believe you. Okay, legit, until you turn to Hebrews 11.1. And then it says this, now faith is the assurance, there it is, there it is, assurance of things hoped for. I know Christ is going to fulfill his promise in this moment, and the conviction of things not seen. I don't know what he's going to say, I don't know how he's going to say it, but he's promised to say it, and so here I go. An internal conviction that leads to an external action. And the bottom line truth is this. The greater the conviction, the more bold I am to act on it. 
the greater conviction I have that what Jesus Christ said is true, that he's going to fulfill his promises for me in this moment. He's going to give me the words to speak that I don't even know are coming yet. In that moment, greater conviction I have of that, greater boldness I have because of it. Internal conviction that leads to an external action. And this is why increasing faith in Christ always leads to increasing boldness for Christ. Increasing faith in Christ. As we ask Jesus Christ, Lord, give me the faith. I can't manufacture this on my own. Lord, in your strength, give me the faith to step into what you're calling me to. Increased faith in Christ always leads to increased boldness for Christ. How's your boldness? How's your faith? Intimately linked. You can't separate the two. And you might ask this, well, if I'm called to have faith in Christ for this, how does Christ promise to equip me to be a bold witness for him? It's one thing to say it, but where do we see how he does it? Okay, keep reading. Love this. There's two ways that we see that Christ equips us. Number one, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 8 to 12. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of it. Like this was the guy running from the servant girl weeks ago. What has happened? Let it be known to you to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, in verse 8 there, that word filled, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Greek means for that. Filled to the max, full quantity, totality, given all that he would need in that moment. Christ's promise coming true. I'm giving you all you need. Filled to the max. I love how commentator Tony Merida put it this way. He says, Luke is saying here that the indwelling Holy Spirit freshly empowered Peter, which enabled him to preach boldly. This is a wonderful reality for believers. God is with us forever. And God will often supernaturally fill us with his spirit to enable us to do his will. Yes, the Holy Spirit, we have him forever at the moment of salvation. He is the seal. He is the guarantee. But if you remember Ephesians 5.18 where it says, be filled. The Greek there means be being filled with the Holy Spirit. God supernaturally fills us and empowers us for the work that he's calling us to do. As his witnesses. It's coming, loved ones. It's coming. He will equip you. Like, recall the promise Christ gave to the disciples when he gave them their mission, sent them out, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. There's a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. There it is again. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Remember that Greek word for power? Let's do a little refresher. Who remembers? A few weeks ago. Greek word for power. Dunamis. dunamai that's where we get our english word dynamite from think about that explosive yes a force might miraculous ability do you believe loved ones do i believe loved ones that in that moment there's miraculous ability that is coming to declare the gospel of jesus christ in that moment 
Do we believe that? Expectation fuels boldness. God's, hey, hey, newsflash, God's never broken a promise in history. He's not going to, on your watch, he's not going to with your kids, he's not going to do that with your family, he's not going to do that with your, yeah, but, no, yeah, buts, but God. So whose power, question, whose power is your faith in today for your witness? Fear, fear says, power's on me. Faith says, the power's in him. When you start to feel afraid of men, you're like, you're relying on yourself, loved ones. We're taking our eyes off the Savior who's like, "Uh uh-uh, I got this, but do you have me? I got this, loved ones. Do you have me? I'm going to equip you. Do you have me? Fear says, it's up to me. Faith says, it's up to him. The Holy Spirit gives Peter the boldness to not only declare that it was the power that is the name of Jesus that healed the man, but also that the Jewish leaders themselves, the builders, he calls them the builders in verse 11. Why? Because they were the leaders who were charged with the building up of the house of God to teach God's people the law of God. But the builders rejected the very cornerstone or foundation itself of what that house of God or their faith was to be built upon. Jesus Christ. And they were the ones responsible for his death by rejecting his offer of salvation. And this is why he goes on to say in verse 12, as if he already already offended them enough, he says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The word salvation there in Greek, I love the picture here. You say, what's salvation? Love the picture. Here, explain this one to your friend. Means this, God's rescue. God delivering people out of destruction and into his safety. That's what that Greek word salvation means. Delivering people out of destruction and the bondage of sin and into his safety. There is one God and one Savior and they were rejecting him and trusting in other things to save them. They were trusting in their good works. They were trusting in their merit their experiences, personal piety, well, at least I'm better than the next guy, so God's got to look favorably on me. Doesn't work like that, loved ones. Question, are you rejecting him too? Jesus Christ, the only savior of the world, are you rejecting him? You say, well, I believe that Jesus was here, but I haven't surrendered my life to him. Then you're rejecting him. Anything less than salvation in him. You and I are rejecting him. The one who came to earth as fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life. Didn't sin once and went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. So that in him we may become the righteousness of God. In him, we may have forgiveness of sin. In him, we may be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out his will. In him, there is life and godliness and power to overcome sin and death. Are you rejecting him? Whose name are you trusting in for salvation today? Your own? Someone else's? Whose name? So we are equipped by Christ, first off, through the Holy Spirit. He fills us for that moment. Ask him for it. He'll do it. And secondly, we see here in verses 13 and 14, we are equipped by Christ from abiding in his presence. 
from abiding in his presence. Look at 13 and 14. It says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Underline that verse. That's amazing. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Okay, get this. Abiding in his presence... When we talk about uneducated there in verse 13, that they were uneducated men, what does that mean? It means illiterate. It means, it doesn't mean they couldn't read at all. It means they were untrained in the formal rabbinical schools and teaching. They had no formal training. Take it into today's context, they didn't go to seminary. They hadn't been trained with all the right words. They didn't go to apologetics class. They didn't know the, all of the different languages and they didn't know, I, uneducated. But it gets better. I love how the Holy Spirit just builds the case that it's God doing it, not them. Common men, it goes on to say, uneducated, common men. Okay, you'll, you'll understand this pretty quick. The Greek word for common there, you know what it is? Idioti. <laughs> Seriously, idioti. That's where we get our word for idiot. Uneducated. Common, idioti, men. <laughs> think about this. Unskilled, it means. Undignified, unprofessional men. Now think about this. If, look who God's sending into the courtroom against the most trained individuals in the world in Jewish law. These are the men Christ had handpicked to stand before the A-listers of society. The idioti. The common, the uneducated. I don't know about you loved ones, but that gives me a lot of hope. Thank you. That gives me a lot of hope that Christ can use me too. Hey, question, loved ones. How many of us feel really unskilled or illiterate in sharing the gospel? You ever feel like illiterate? I don't know enough. What am I going to do? I'm not skilled enough. What if they ask this question and I don't know how to answer? And what if they, unskilled, illiterate? Hey, hey, loved ones, realize these guys were feeling it too. They're feeling it too. But the biggest, what we clearly see here and what we must be strengthened in today is that the biggest factor that everything else hinged on for them to be a bold witness was not their training, their skills, or their experience. It was that they had been with Jesus. It was not their skills. It was not their experience. They had been and spent time abiding in the presence of God. Equipped. Equipped. They had spent three years watching, listening, learning, abiding in his presence. Question, are you making it a priority to be with Jesus, loved ones? Individually, in your own God time, and coming together corporately to be in the presence of God here together as a church, in your small groups. Are you making it a priority to be with Jesus? Because here's what we have to remember. Boldness for God is always equipped in the presence of God. Boldness for God is always equipped in the presence of God. Why do you think the devil loves to distract you from having your God time? Why do you work so hard to keep you out of pursuing the presence of God in your quiet, keep you 
from coming to church and making it a priority on Sundays. This is why. Because boldness for God is equipped in the presence of God. John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the vine. Whoever abides, that means to remain, spends time in my presence, in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to think of the presence of God in your gut. I want you to think of the presence of God as like the greenhouse where boldness is equipped. Every time you make and step out in faith and make it a priority to get in front of God's word every day and to come together as God's people, whether in small groups or fellowship or here in the church together, every time you're entering into this greenhouse where boldness is being equipped in you, you can feel it now as God's word is being preached over you. There's something that's happening in the living and active word inside of you. And this is where, loved ones, our faith is restored His strength is refreshed in us. Our minds are renewed and our hearts are realigned with his. That's the recipe for boldness. Right? That's the recipe for boldness. And you say, well, how do I abide? Some of us here, maybe you're like, I don't know how to abide. What does that even look like? Okay, here, just give you a quick snapshot. Ready? Prioritize the time. Make time. Say, I don't have time. You always have time for things you make time for. Simple truth. Prioritize the time with him. Now, how much time? That's up between you and the Lord. We're not getting legalistic on this stuff. Make the time. Prioritize the time. Start with five minutes. Two, read his word. Read his word. Get in front of his word. Three, so prioritize the time. Read the word. Here it is. Meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. Take a journal. Start journaling. A lot of us just get in front of a text and we read it and we don't sit with it. Sit with it. Let it saturate you. Don't just get in God's word. Let God's word get in you. Big difference, loved ones. Let it get in you. Take a journal. Start writing down what you're reading. Write out a prayer. Spend time in prayer on that. Praying God's word back to him and memorizing God's word. It's amazing how many times when you spend time in God's word, the Holy Spirit locks in a truth in your heart and then when you're in a situation in your day, all of a sudden it's like a Rolodex. You ever notice that? It comes to mind. Oh, I learned that this morning. I can apply that right now. There's a reason for that. Spend, prioritize the time, read the word, meditate on the word, let it get in you. Journal, prayer, memorize, and ch- corporately, abiding with Christ together as church. Hey, it's almost the summertime. Dare I say that here in Ottawa? It's almost going to be the summer soon. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing, why is it on the summer that we so often take a vacation from coming to church and pressing into the Lord in our quiet time? Don't. No, no, no. There are, the harvest is white around us, loved ones. Boldness is equipped in the presence of God. The presence of God is the greatest place of our equipping for God, and that's why the devil works so hard to keep us out of it. To live as a bold witness for Christ, you must expect to be opposed because of Christ. Have faith that you will be equipped by Christ. And from that, last point, you must resolve that you will be obedient to Christ. Look at 15 to 22. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. These guys didn't know what to do. They're in a major quandary here. They conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? 
for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, I love this, ready? Here, here you go. No more servant girl on this one. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. See, look at this. After seeing the boldness of Peter and John, along with the beggar who had been healed, standing right beside them, the leaders and rulers had no idea what to do with them. They could not refute the evidence that a miracle had just happened in front of them. Verse 22 says he was over 40. Why did the Holy Spirit put it in there? Because it shows that... the. God loves to stack the odds against him. So when he does it, everyone knows who did it. We're going to get into a series on Elijah and Elisha this summer. And God always wets the wood before he lights it so that everyone knows who lit it. Get ready for that series. Okay? All right, so he's stacking the odds. He's leaving no doubt. They, there is no other explanation for this man's healing. And it was in the name of Jesus Christ that it happened. And as a result, all the people who saw it were praising God and they wouldn't be pleased if the disciples were punished. Notice, because these Sanhedrin, they wanted to keep their power. They wanted everybody to like them. And so they're like, we can't punish them because if we do, the people are gonna be mad at us. Talk about living in a fear of man, right? Bullies, bullying those who are bringing the truth of Christ. So the best, all the best rulers can do is to order the disciples to not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. However, again, look at this response, verses 19 and 20. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Love that. Loved ones, is that our heart's cry right there? Peter and John replied to them, they will choose to obey God over men and they will go on preaching because they can't help but speak of what they've seen and heard and it is what they have been commanded to do by Christ. Their resolved obedience to Christ fueled the boldness of for Christ are we resolved to obey and if we're like I don't know I don't ask him apart from him we can do nothing remember God will this is like our church slogan right now God will not command from you what he's not willing to do in you first saturate that gospel truth on your heart when that fear of man kicks in to be resolved to obey here it is here it is Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever the odds, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, whatever the cost, Lord, whatever you want, Lord, I'm in. I don't know, I might, I'm thinking it might be a train wreck. I might look like a fool. I'm in. I'm in. Because if God is for us, loved ones, who can be against us? Right? Greater is he who is in you and me, if we are in Jesus Christ, than he who is in the world. Fear not, God says, Isaiah 41.10, for I am with you to deliver you. Fear not. 
So question, question. If, if resolved obedience positions us and fuels our boldness for Christ, what areas of your life are you not walking with the resolved obedience to Christ and are hindering your boldness for Christ? What areas are you living in disobedience, loved ones? A step that you know God wants you to take. It's hindering, it's grieving the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Maybe it's an ongoing pattern of sin, of lust, lust of finances, lust of sexual uh, immorality, lust of material possessions, lust of work. Maybe it's you're going on in gossip and slander. Maybe it's comp- we could so easily get into complaining and grumbling about what God has put in our lives. What other small g gods are you pursuing as your first love that are not Christ? And the question we finish with is this. Will you repent of those and ask the Lord for a renewed resolve to walk in a bold obedience to him today because we can't do it on our own. It's his work. Just ask him. He will do it. And for some of you here today, your first step of boldness in obedience to Christ will be to repent of your sin and confess him as your Lord and Savior as he's calling you to himself. Don't reject it, loved ones. The thing right there, don't reject it. Don't reject it. That's your first step of obedience. Nothing else happens without it. And the Bible is very clear today that today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That area of sin in your life that he's like, okay, loved ones, it's hindering your boldness. It's hindering your fellowship with me. Repent of that right now. There's comfort on the other side, not condemnation. Not condemnation. What is it? And I leave us with this quote from A.W. Tozer. It's one of my favorites. The fearful world around us needs a fearless church to pursue them, loved ones. And a fearless church is a bold church that will expect to be opposed because of Christ, will have faith that they will be equipped by Christ, and is resolved to be obedient to Christ, and cannot help but speak of what they've seen and what they've heard. Are you in, church? Are you in? He's worth it. It just costs you everything. Are you in? He's worth it. May it be so here, Lord. May it be so here. Let's pray. Father, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is strength in the name of Jesus. There is boldness in the name of Jesus. There is faith in the name of Jesus. The same name that took a 40-year-old crippled man and in an instant brought him to life. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, we would be so encouraged through your word today that you will not leave us or forsake us. You are with us. You know our comings and goings. You will not desert us. And as we look to you, you will equip us. Yes, we will be opposed, but you will equip us for that, to see the gospel go forward. This life is not our own. It is yours. God, I pray you would be raising up a church. Start with me. Raising up a church that says, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever you want, Lord, however you want it, Lord, I'm in. And all I have is these loaves and fish to offer you. But I trust you. You've called me to this. You will see me through this. So right now, in this place, right now, 
as you are revealing areas of our lives, areas of sin in our lives that are hindering that boldness, are hindering the work of your Holy Spirit, I pray we would not be prideful right now. We just say, it's done, here I am, Lord. I repent of that, I confess that to you. Freedom in Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ into your life, will you pray this with me today? Will you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I need you. You are my only hope. Nothing I can do can earn salvation in you. I need your grace right now. I need your forgiveness right now. Would you forgive me of my sin? Give me the strength to live for you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, it is in Christ alone we pray. Amen.